time for a little something. I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Sarah Black. Professor Sarah Black. Oops. And I'm here with Professor Sarah Black. You did that on the last show, too. <laughs> it's okay. It's I don't fine. think I even corrected it last time. I'm just the woman sidekick. <laughs> it's it's time to discuss <laughs> this sweet guess. And it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but they're erasing me, and I have no memory of this. <laughs> So I think you're you're gonna have to cover this one. Um. Oh no, I don't have very much. Okay, what do we? <laughs> well, it's our third feeling each other out conversation mm-hmm. to wrap up this week. Yeah, this one takes place in. They're entirely in the train for this. So one location, just two people talking on the train from Montauk, mm-hmm. and you don't need to do anything in the backyard. There's nothing back there. Why are they always doing things? It feels like they're always doing. Like how much maintenance does one place really need? It's an excellent question. <laughs> They're also inconsistent. Yeah. It's fucking Monday. You didn't do this on Monday. Exactly. That's what they do on Tuesdays, right? Right. <laughs> then the train joined in. <laughs> A train from Montauk. Yeah. We're just getting like our train sound effects. That's cool. <laughs> As Clementine continues talking about hair color, colors with equally snappy names, we get a two-shot of her and Joel, she says red, red menace, yellow fever, green revolution. In the script, she also includes purple haze and pink mm-hmm. eraser. And she says, that'd be a job coming up with those names. And we cut to Joel's. He says, you think there could possibly be a job like that? I mean, how many hair colors could there be? 50, maybe? And that's when I started thinking about autism and ADHD. Because <laughs> she's clearly just trying to make conversation. It's like meaningless conversation. Mm-hmm. But he's, like, very literal. Like, how long could someone do that job? Like, no, this girl's just on a train flirting with you. Like, that's it. She's just talking. And he hasn't put away his journal yet. Yeah. Because he's he's not there. Right. (laughs) He's not in the meeting yet. Yes. She says someone's got that job. And Joel kind of tilts his head. And he says... He doesn't answer yet, but he he kind of tilts his head like a little nod, like, yeah, sure, someone has that job. And she says, Agent Orange, I came up with that one. And in the script, she says, I've tried all their colors more than once. I'm getting too old for this, but it keeps me from having to develop an actual personality. Which is a little much. Yeah. So I'm glad they cut it to just the line from the end of that. Mm-hmm. In the film, she says, I apply my personality in a paste. Which Even is though- still a little on the nose. Clearly untrue, but it sounds like something she might say. I hate this cliche. Okay, first off, this is part of the reason why I don't podcast film that much. Because (laughs) if I start breaking it down minute by minute, I literally hate everything. Like, I'm just a giant (laughs) hater of everything. And the whole, like, manic, I dye my hair, like, a bunch of different colors. Like, I hate that trope. Whereas me... I would point out that the best examples of that trope are in movies that are actively trying to destroy that trope, including this one. This movie makes an active effort to point out that most of what we're seeing is his impression of who she is, which his impression of who she is tells him is wrong. That She is not just this thing that he's invented that is just this shallow collection of tropes. But does he believe that? Because the next thing he says, like... That's the problem is, does Joe believe it? Does the movie believe it? Yeah. Even though the movie's saying it. And do we believe it? Mm -mm. And somewhere in there it becomes a problem, even when you're using a trope to try to get rid of the trope. Yeah. 
And I think that's my issue with a lot of like trope to get rid of a trope thing and how they're done is maybe this is just me being pretentious now. I feel like most people don't think about it that deeply Hmm. and don't get it. So even if the intention is to like destroy that trope, most people in terms of how they process it just get more of the trope. Yeah. So what the intention is, is less important than what the result of it is. Especially when the end of the movie is that she is still that trope Mm -hmm. and he is still the tropes that he is and they're going to do it again. One of the better examples maybe of using that trope Mm -hmm. to try to get rid of it would be something like Ruby Sparks because in the end, they don't end up together. She ends up her own person and he has to just deal with that. That this person he thinks he invented is an actual person and he has to do better. Whereas this, they're just, it's more of, it's a time loop. Or it's a, it's a relationship. Yeah. People do tend to repeat the same patterns in their relationships. So Yeah. And when it comes to, she says she applies her personality in a pace, but really it's movie scripts that apply personalities in pace. And it's yeah. not just hers. Right. It's, it's his. That was your, your observation about like couples mm-hmm. in movies and especially rom-coms. Is, it's not just that she's the trope of that manic pixie, pixie daydream. Dream. Yeah. He's that trope of that sheepish guy who doesn't even realize she's flirting (laughs) right and so there's this before they can even start a relationship we gotta we have to accept that they're those two people and they have to get out of being those two people which doesn't work in a movie because we want them to be consistent and there's a lot of like body language physicality in the scene too because in his delivery he's just very much like slumped over in his seat Mm -hmm. he's very like deadpan and she's like She's up on her knees, hunched over over on her knees. She's very much like that manic trope. Well, everything in her delivery, her physicality—it's even worse than that in a sense because she's essentially being uh, like infantilized. She's Mm -hmm. a child. Children are the one who get up on their knees, exactly, back of the seat in the train and look at the people behind him. And he's, you know, the adult. He has things to do, even though he skipped work this morning. There's also—I don't know if we get enough of it in this minute, but I've commented a couple times now. Once they're finally this close to each other in this scene, we get a lot of shots of them separate. But she invades his shots a lot because her hands move. So her gestures are often in his shot, but then he's not in her shots. So it's like she's this bigger personality and he is very much not. Which makes them stereotypes ready to be in a relationship, obviously. (laughs) And he he responds to the personality in a pace line and the camera pans over to him. So Mm -hmm. it's including him but separating them at the same time. Oh, I doubt that very much. And then we get one of her, I love the way she says this line mm-hmm. and the line because it sounds ominous. Yeah. But it absolutely isn't. And he doesn't take it as ominous, I don't think. Because she says, well, you don't know me, so you don't know, do you? And he just says sorry because, you know, that's who he is as a character at this point. I was just, I'm trying to be nice. See, he hasn't even graduated to Mark with a C yet. Tune in yesterday, everybody, <laughs> to a different show. He's not nice yet. He's just trying to be nice. Then we get a close-up of him that pans to her, and she says, yeah, I got it. And we get a wider shot as she sinks down into her seat and digs into her purse. For nothing in particular, we could guess, but she pulls out a nasal inhaler and uses it. It's just more of her just being like super exaggerated mm-hmm. and childlike. You know? Everything she She's does so, is so, that. So, like, Even when she was pulling alcohol out to put it in mm-hmm. her coffee, 
it was done is I have a giant bag right. that I got to reach in and find this thing. But in the wide shot, he is still paying attention. He hasn't gone back to his journal. And mm-hmm. right as he looks down like he's going to, the camera pans to her and she closes her eyes. We don't see it in this minute, but mm-hmm. it's because she's getting up the nerve to get back up and talk again. <laughs> <laughs> so right as he turns his attention away, she is moving to pay attention to him again. And so they'll just go through the same, essentially another version of the same conversation. Still. And their miscommunication. Hmm. Just thinking, like, why does she want his attention so much? That depends on what you mean. Is it she Clementine in mm-hmm. this movie at this time? Or she female character in movie in this Both. movie at this time? Because Clementine, it's because she has to. They're attached. They've already had a relationship. Mm-hmm. This is their second go round, yeah. though they don't know it yet. And there's just some, you know, there's just something about him. But that also goes into script writing tropes of rom coms right. generally. There's just something about him that got her attention because they were both out on that empty beach where no one else was. They're both weirdos yeah. in some similar way. Yeah, it's the ADHD autism thing, which yeah. is. It's interesting how often that combo comes up in movies and TV shows, because it seems like it comes up more often than would be representative of people actually having those neurotypes, which then makes me think, are there a lot of autistic slash ADHD people writing and making (laughs) That is it right there. It's screenwriters. Yeah. (laughs) They all have one of those problems. Hey, that's not necessarily a problem. (laughs) Society makes it a problem. It's literally just a different neurotype. That's your own cultural I have been programmed. Yes, I have been programmed to think of that as a problem. Yes. It's actually less interesting that we get that in movies all the time, Mm -hmm. but it's more interesting that we get people seeing that as representative of reality Mm -hmm. because there's more people watching these movies than making them. Yeah. And that larger audience sees it as something that they want to watch. And it's like trying to talk about a cliche without being a cliche. It's like that men are from Mars, women are from mm-hmm. Venus thing where we assume there's an inability to communicate. And so in our stories, we're okay with it. But what I'm wondering is, do we think it's realistic? Which part? Like what's this? She's the energetic ADHD one and mm-hmm. he's like shut down, doesn't even know they're flirting one. Do we think that's how men and women always are? Or do we just think fictional men and women always are? Or does it matter? Going back to Ex Machina, does the yeah. distinction matter? I don't know. Uh, see, I have grown up on thousands of films. Right. Which might be why yeah. I accept these things more than you do. Mm-hmm. Is I'm like, no, that's how people are. But also, most of the people I've known were fictional. Wow. Wow. This was like a therapy session. It's not a breakthrough. <laughs> no, I've, I've come to a version of that realization many times. But, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But also, it, it is. I realize that there are so many things I think about people that came straight out of specific made up people yeah and me i'm not like that because i did not grow up on film or tv i watched very little of it but you Um, did read books i did read books so i did grow up on books but a lot of the books that i read even though they would be considered like shallow whatever like reading tons like hundreds of babysitters club books or like sweet valley high books or like i read a ton as a kid but not everything i read was like all the great works of literature. Mm. I would yeah. literally just read anything I could get my hands on for entertainment. But those books that just centered a lot of like 
teen girl type thing. I don't I don't really recall seeing like a lot of those types of tropes. But actually, in those books, one of the but... ones you mentioned is I never read any of the Babysitters Club books, mm-hmm. but I've seen the movie and episodes of the TV version, the old TV version, not the newer mm-hmm. one. Was it, wait, was there an old one, or am I inventing that? Just interrupting really quick, because sure enough, before the 1995 film, there was a TV series in 1990, but it only lasted six episodes. I don't think there was an old TV show. Maybe What am I was... thinking of? I know there was a movie. There's the current TV show. Yeah. I don't think I've actually seen any of that. Maybe an episode. But there's more main characters, so I think it's less yeah. clearly delineated tropes as far as personality types. Whereas this is two people getting into a relationship and we're going to get a trope of he has to be a certain way, she has to be a certain way so that we understand why they're talking to each other. Right. And my point is, I just didn't watch a lot of that growing up. If my parents had the TV on, it was either, it was usually things like the news or Jeopardy or like Unsolved Mystery, things that were not really like fictional, like TV or movies. So being an undiagnosed autistic female and youth, my ideas about people mostly came from just observing everyone around me and not being able to like engage in conversations well. So it was just kind of like studying the dynamics of (laughs) (laughs) communicate like in my school. Like that's kind of how I always felt, just like this alien as a kid who kind of got put on earth as an anthropologist and I'm just watching people interact. And then sometimes trying to copy that and do it, which usually went really badly, <laughs> but mostly just watching and not trying to do it. So that's yeah, where, where my whereas, came from. <laughs> whereas I went to a tiny private school run by a church that was predicting the apocalypse to come very soon at the end of the Cold War. All of the people in the school that were actually around me were probably not quite the same personality types you'd get in other schools. They were more of a quieter, shut-down version of that. We still had our, you know, the jocks and the Mm -hmm. assholes and the nerd people and Mm -hmm. the quiet people and the loud people, but I think they all were slightly quieter than everything else. And relative to me watching movies and TV all the time as a kid, that's where the louder, Mm -hmm. bigger, more noticeable personality types came from in my head, I think. Yeah. My school wasn't quite as small as yours, and it wasn't quite as apocalyptic either, but I did go to a private Catholic school from first through ninth grade, and it wasn't very big. It was pretty small, but it was big enough to have the usual cliques and things. Here's the breakdown. Over there, we've got your basic beautiful people. Now listen, unless they talk to you first, don't bother. Wait, is that your rule or theirs? Watch. Hey there. You see that? This map is going to be your guide to North Shore. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, Roxy guys, preps. To the left, we have the coffee kids. That was Costa Rican, butthead. Very edgy. Don't make any sudden movements around them. These delusionals are your white Rastas. Uh, They're big Marley fans. They think they're black. Semi-political, but mostly... Smoke a lot of weed? Yeah. JV jocks. Asian nerds. Cool Asians, varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything. These guys... Wait, wait, let me guess. Cowboys? Yeah, but the the closest they've come to a cow is McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) Desperate wannabes, burnouts, sexually active band geeks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware of the plastic. 
Yeah, ours would have clicks, but then it would have a lot of crossover because yeah. there just weren't that many people. Well, the whole idea of like separate clicks is really just a TV and movie in- invention itself. And most schools have a lot of crossover. Mm-hmm. You don't usually have just like tables of people labeled nerd, jock, whatever. Face it. You're a neo-maxi-zoomed dweeby. Like, obviously, some of that happens and clicks do form, but... I don't know. It's not the same as in fiction, especially now, I think. If Can't Buy Me Love taught me anything, (laughs) (laughs) it's that those people don't interact unless they need something from each other and have money. Well, that's just a... (laughs) That is just a neurotypical thing. People in general don't interact unless they need something from each other. Think about, like, neurotypicals interact in, like, a social hierarchy. Whenever they engage in conversation, first it's just trying to, like, assess where am I in the social hierarchy? Am I above this person? Am I below this person? You're a virgin who can't drive. And then most of the interactions that occur are, how, how do I benefit from this conversation? Am I, like, going to improve my own social standing if this person becomes part of the clique? Do we keep them in? Do we shut them out? neurodivergent people tend not to think of relationships the same way that's why they tend to get upset a lot about (laughs) surface level friendships like they want a deeper friendship but then if you walk up to people and you you just start talking about your special interest or you just start going like deep into philosophy or into politics or whatever you're into people are like what (laughs) i just said like hi i didn't really want you to tell me about you know every single thing that was in your brain and then also there's a difference just in terms of like how we communicate information as well because at least this is my experience i don't know if it was yours i know being autistic and female is different from being autistic and male but we tend to be viewed as very like blunt rude cold because we say what we think like we tend to say our intention and we don't mean things in like a mean rude cold Mm -hmm. way but we don't really like to just sugarcoat things or use that kind of, I don't know how to explain it. No, that's On a fair. very base level, if someone's like, oh, do you like my hat? If I don't like your hat, I'm going to have a hard time saying yes. I'm going to have to think of a different way to not lie. Like, oh, it suits you really well. Because clearly they like it. They chose it. But you can't be like, oh, I like your hat. Like it almost, it feels bad to do that. Whereas people who are neurotypical, they're going to say like, what's appropriate for that social situation? Because again, they're thinking about being part of the in-group and like the social hierarchies that have already been established. That's also why, one of the reasons why neurodivergent, but specifically people with autism and ADHD struggle in workplace settings. Because for most of us, the CEO, the janitor, the whatever, like they're all the same person. We will talk to that person the same way because that hierarchy doesn't really, like, I don't know why I should care about the person that's rich more than the person that's making $10 an hour or whatever. I don't see those people. We as, don't have that Chandler laugh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the work laugh from the Friends yeah. episode. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. So again, I'm not saying this like, wow, we are just so evolved because we are so cool that we don't have and we see everyone the same. No, it's not about that. It's literally just our brains are functioning under different paradigms. And it's from your perspective, normals. Mm-hmm. Wait, it, you we- assume the people listening to your show are normals? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> okay, so audience. What the normals would think in hearing this exchange (laughs) is that we are the failures because we have failed to take in their programming well enough to do these things. But also, where I thought you were going with that 
was, I don't even know where I'm going. Was how that changes also between men and women because mm-hmm. when I'm blunt, I'm being a man. I'm just, you know, telling it how it is and all that. Whereas when a woman does that, she's a bitch. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot because we're both professors and the way that men can say things to students and get away with it. Mm-hmm. If I say things the same way, and not just to my students, to my coworkers, my boss, anything. If I say things the same way, then I am being combative. I'm a difficult employee. I'm a rude teacher. And the students will go to female teachers much more often with personal issues or to discussing, like we're expected to perform so much more emotional labor. My woman like, supervisor apologized and thanked me for essentially pointing out that she screwed up. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it in like a blunt, right, abrupt right, right, way. Right. I was actually very nice in the email. But then she said sorry and thanked me for pointing it out when she could have been as abrupt as me and be like, yeah, I'll fix that one. Right. You know? <laughs> but no, she had to make it a whole thing. Right. You write emails with greetings and yeah. a signature. I, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, too. That's, a, that's another difference between like male and female neurodivergent people. And why a lot of women don't get diagnosed with things they should get diagnosed with, like autism and ADHD, because separate from having a different brain, we are enculturated that we have to perform certain behaviors. Although I would like to be very blunt with my students, because that is my nature, I have to fight against that because I don't want to lose my job. (laughs) I don't want to get more student complaints to the office. So I know that while some of my male colleagues in the department, they even tell me, they're like, oh, well, I just do X or I just do this. I know I can't do that. Like, I will have problems. So I cannot be myself most of the time because that will lead to bad things. But that's why a lot of women won't get, say, diagnosed with autism because it's like, oh, well, you're clearly able to communicate and function with other people. And it's like, but what you're failing to understand is that's like a necessity of me being alive, of me being able to even go into this office and talk to you. Like, yeah, if you, you haven't, even... <laughs> if you hadn't figured out how to perform those parts, exactly, you wouldn't even be so. in that situation. Whereas the fact that I write weirdly short emails that aren't very formal mm-hmm. is what made me stand out at one point and got me a job. Yeah. And for sure, and you can cut this if you want, that's also hurt you in other job interviews and other settings. Because overall, people still want people to play those those games and be warm and play those games. So it's not that men just get to do whatever they want and that they can just not play any of those games. Like, you still had professional repercussions. It's just, it's even less accepted for women to communicate Mm -hmm. that way. Like, we have more problems when we do that. So Mine's a problem in specific circumstances. Yours is a problem in all. Yeah. That's why, I don't know, like, back to podcasting. It's <laughs> like, I love these movies. And then part of the reason why I don't like movies by minute is the more I sit down and pick them apart, second by second and minute by minute, it makes me not like things I originally liked. Like this interaction. I don't like it. That's fair. <laughs> Mine is that it actually abstracts them away from the movie itself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the Groundhog Day Project mm-hmm. did that for me. Yeah. Because it was the whole movie every day. And there was a point where I just hated it. And I didn't want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of circled back in. I figured I would. And I stuck it out. But with the mint, like, when I don't watch the movie again, like, Annihilation Minute was, and these are going mm-hmm. once one minute a week. They're going to take a while. Yeah. So by the time I'm on that end of the movie, one minute at a time, it's been years since I've watched the movie. And these are like these abstract things that have been constructed and they're artificial. And So is that why men do it? 
are all of you doing this minute by minute podcasting just mark with a C because you're breaking the shit down to a degree that it's so divorced from the original work of art it's no longer a thing anymore? Probably. <laughs> there there are women who do the same format podcast, but there's not that many relative to the number of men. Yes, and I didn't mean to erase them, just that this is a very male-dominated no, activity. I don't know how many hosts there are. I know there's over 200 shows now that are Movies by Minutes mm-hmm. style. I'd say probably 90% of them are male-only or mostly male. And there's only a handful of women hosts. And I think it's, yeah, it's part of that. Is It's sort of also in a... It might even go further than that in that breaking it down in the first place it's kind of started with Star Wars Minute where it's nerds. Mm-hmm. They're going to do that shit. They. <laughs> yeah, those nerds. Those nerds. Yeah. But it's like you're already destroyed that thing. Yeah. And then you're ideally, or at least in your head, you're building it back up. And it's nice and positive and you're doing something constructive. But I was the host of Mandy Sucks Minute. So trust me, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It can be I've broken it apart. Now I'm going to just destroy all the parts. So now that we're way off topic, why do you think men are attracted to that specific activity? Because it's not that women don't like to analyze and meaning make. We clearly do. We make up the bulk of English majors, which is just analyzing literature and analyzing poetry and analyze like it's a similar function. hmm, But (laughs) this is generalizing because I don't know if that was on this show or yesterday where we were talking about how much I don't listen to podcasts since I've been working from home. But I think it's about nuance. This is me generalizing about gender, so take it with whatever grain of salt you like. Where women want more nuance in the conversation, so it's easier to talk about, like we did yesterday, that. And we talked about that whole Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. For almost as long as that Twilight Zone episode, I think. (laughs) And we could have talked longer. Right. About that self-contained thing. Whereas men are doing the opposite. We have to break it down so that it isn't a complete thing that we have to like or dislike anymore. And we can say whatever the fuck we want about the piece. Because it doesn't matter if we absolutely love, what are we doing today? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. I could hate this minute if I want. So you're just conquering and colonizing the film? Like you're splitting it into separate tracts of land? It's Africa. Yeah. Well, not just, but... For example, you know, they arbitrarily just divided the map Mm -hmm. up. And we're like, these parts are yours. These parts are mine. This one goes to this guest for this this week. Mm -hmm. This one goes to the guest for next week. But I'm just here, you know, ruling over the whole thing. But we pick something, generally speaking, that we love, and then do that. And then destroy it? (laughs) Yes. And reinvent it as something that now is part ours. Damn. Well, your guests should have known what they were getting in for this week since I was on the show. Yeah. Yes. Well, and seven weeks ago or whatever, Danny Rubin basically said I was more of an expert on Groundhog Day than he was, and he wrote the thing. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, thanks. But right. also, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he was just a beginning screenwriter who then went into teaching. I'm a teacher who now pretends I go into screenwriting, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, thanks for being here. <laughs> <laughs> but you all understand the process because you're listening. You yeah. want to hear this, obviously, because this is eight weeks in. Wow. So thank you. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> That's the end of every show of mine now. Thank yeah. you. And I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you felt you had to be here. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway. Yay, we broke everything. <laughs> now, where you like to break things is on TikTok, for example. Yeah, I like to break things in TikTok. I like to break things down into 
And on Life is a Playlist. We should mention that again. Uh, she did do a podcast, which was 20 episodes. Yeah, 20 episodes. Of breaking down what well, you can explain. It's your show. Yeah. Why are you trying to colonize my own show? <laughs> well, I did. I edited it. So it became what <laughs> I wanted did. it to be. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, Life as a Playlist started out as a way for me to write a memoir or tell my childhood and life stories through song. And I did that for some episodes. And then it also became political. Then COVID happened. So it became about that. And now I'm actually writing a memoir because I learned that podcasting your life stories through song is a lot more difficult than I initially intended. And being the read-write person I am, now I have three notebooks full of what I hope will be an actual book that I can <laughs> publish in the next year or two. But yeah, if you like 90s music especially or enjoy music overall, I think it would be fun if you just want to hear anti-capitalist rants with a little bit of autism thrown in, then you can go to my TikTok page. And if you want more of this, you can find all... Well, I can say the thing. Thank you for listening this time. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. And I have had many other podcasts. But for these, tune in every Tuesday for Minutia X Machina. Every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute. And every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. Follow this show on Twitter, at Instagram, and Facebook at Spotless Minute. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time.